0: Praise the Lord. Isn't that good? Gosh, I love Jay's testimony because he is so clear to connect our prayer with our Father's heart. And that's something that we've been on a personal journey. We being my family, myself and my wife, we felt the call of the Lord to come to this city, to Winston-Salem. We felt the call of the Lord to join you, this church, two cities felt the call of the Lord to invest our lives here, uh, Lord willing to raise up leaders and fulfill the Great Commission. And when you, f- when you hear that call to something that's hard, you're like, oh, Lord, I don't know. And what's, what's at the root of that? I don't know. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? So my name is Stephen, uh, Stephen Lawrence, and if you join us here online or at the VHQ venue, welcome. Here in person, welcome. Uh, this literally is a well because you've never seen me before if you're here and you're like I don't recognize that face That's because his face ain't never been here, right? This is me. I'm Stephen. Uh, we're from nashville, tennessee I've been a pastor at a church there for the last five years in ministry there for um, you know more years right and the years stack on each other But here is my picture of my family. You'll be up on the screen You'll Be able to have it. And I want to introduce you to us. Just briefly look at them. Aren't they sweet and precious? Don't you love it? To help me, I kind of use analogies. We'll use weather pattern analogies here. My daughter Reynolds, there you see Reynolds, like that sweet, precious angel. Um, she is kind of like a spring day—a little cold in the mornings, a uh, chance of thunderstorms, but mostly bright and colorful. My son Crosby, on the other hand, he's more like a tornado. You will hear him before you see him. I promise. And when he blows through, he will blow out of here just as quickly as he came in here and he will leave an impact. Right? Relationally, he's going to talk to everybody about everything and everything he's into. Or, you know, chairs will be upturned or things knocked off the walls, whatever else. And then there's my wife. Remember first service I said that and there was like a hush fell over the crowd, like be careful, right? There's my wife. And she is like a pristine day at the beach. Always, ever, only. Sunshine, clear skies, white sand. The real, the real beach, white sand, amen? white sand, Uh, love my family, and we are so glad to invest our lives here with you, and Lord willing, um, um, try to develop, as I said, and train leaders. So I I am on staff, started this past week, um, and, and of leadership development is not my title, and I'll be overseeing the intern and the residency program. And I also am a pastoral candidate, as Pastor Kyle mentioned. I'm at our members gathering. We'll be able to um, speak through and introduce um, the different guys. We're walking to the elder cohort. Anyway, it's a blessing to be here. Uh, and Lord willing to feed today in the Word of God together. And on that, we're in Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you wouldn't mind opening, we're continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6 here in just one moment. And today, we are going to be focusing in on the Lord's Prayer, on the Lord's Prayer. If you've been here I'm with us at the sermon, you've been catching up and you're right along with us, and this is your first day, no worries. My first time here, don't worry about it. As best as I can do, as clearly as I can summarize it, um, we have been looking at the Lord's, um, excuse me, through the Sermon on the Mount, at what it means for Christ to be the King. That's what this is. This is Christ coming in himself as the King in the inbreaking of the kingdom. And guess what the Sermon on the Mount is? It's him showing us through a sermon what it means for us to be part of his kingdom, what it means for us to live in his, with him as the king. And so here he's going to teach us about prayer. And this is the Lord's Prayer. Maybe if I say that, you're like, oh, God, I don't know what that means. When I was in high school, I remember I was part of a, a football team, and they, they asked me, I guess because I was one of the only Christians, if I'd lead us in the Lord's Prayer before the game, and I froze. Nothing. I'm like, do we know what the Lord's Prayer is? Like, Stephen, stand up and lead us. And you're like, amen, yes. Um, so if you're here and you have no idea what I mean when I say the Lord's Prayer, don't worry. We'll walk through it together. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or side, It's okay. But for us who've been in church and been around church our whole lives, this is an opportunity for us to dig in again and maybe hear it anew as the Spirit speaks and, and breathes His Word. So I think what Jesus is doing in this section and with this prayer specifically is I think He's addressing our two main problems with prayer. Our two main problems with prayer. Namely, we don't know what we're supposed to say. Have you been there? You're like, I know somebody's telling me I should pray, and I want to pray, and I'm trying to pray, but like, what does somebody, What are you supposed to say? You like run out of things to say? You set, up, you set aside 15 minutes on your calendar, and after two minutes, you're like, okay, I'm done now. But more fundamentally, I think the foundational problem Jesus is addressing is we don't really know the God to whom we're praying. Put it another way. We struggle with the what we're supposed to say because we don't know the who, who it is we're praying to. We struggle with the what because we don't know the who. It reminds me in a way of a child's birthday party. Here's what I mean by that. My son, he was on the screen, is five years old, just turned five. And what are you going to do when your your kid turns five? You're going to have a themed birthday party, right? His was Navy planes. He loves like Navy, like the branch of the military. He loves military planes, everything else. And you know what my son loved most of all about his party? It was not all the themed paper and napkins and plates that my wife spent hours building and and preparing and buying and sitting down. It wasn't even the cake that we had that even went along with this theme really well. It wasn't his friends that came visit. What was it? Did anybody know? The presents. He wanted the presents. We're like, buddy, we had our pizza, right? You know what time it is now? It's time for the cake. He's like, no, I don't want cake. We're the presents, Dad. I want the presents. I'm like, okay, here we go, present time. And man, when present time hits, that tornado starts swirling, right? Tasmanian devil's coming through the living room. He's going to just, just flying packages and, and wrappers and, and boxes and toys too. And as a parent, you're stressed out because it's your responsibility to figure out which toy is connected with which person. You're like, wait a minute, fire truck. Who brought the fire truck? It's like, "Ooh, fire truck's gone. You're like, now we're on to the baseball glove. Anybody, baseball glove? You know, trying to write it down. And if you're trying to teach your child thankfulness, which, you know, we're trying. You're like, hey, all right, can you stop? All right, look at me. We need to tell grand grand, thank you for the fire truck. And they're like, oh, thank you. You know, back at it. It starts going around again. And for us, maybe it's the same way for you, for some reason, in our family, the, the kids' birthday parties is an opportunity for out-of-town guests to kind of pass through, which is great. We love them coming, but there's a problem. Our kids don't know them. It's like Uncle Herndon will get on the phone like, hey, I'm coming through. You mind if I come to the birthday party? you are like, praise the Lord. Come on, Uncle Herndon, glad to see you. Aunt Flossie's calling like, hey, I'm passing through the area. You mind if I stop through? Come on, glad to have you. But it becomes a problem when our child opens up Uncle Herndon's present. Like, hey, can you tell Uncle Herndon thank you? Who? Like, you know, Uncle Herndon, right? And he's like listening in the corner. You know, your, your uncle, the one who sent you that thing for Christmas. We define people by their presents, you know, with kids. You know the one who sent you that fire chair for Christmas? Uh-uh. Okay, your uncle, you love him. He loves you. And they're like, uh 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 <laughs> So you're like pushing your kid. The hills are digging you in, right? You're pushing him along the line. You corner him with Uncle Herndon. You're like, you tell your uncle thank you. Thank you. And then run back to the presence. I say all all that to say, I think in prayer sometimes we can feel like we've been cornered with Uncle Herndon. We don't really know the person we've been told to pray to. Somebody else does, Our pastor does, or somebody on stage did, or our friends do, or mama does, or they know them. And so they're like pushing us with our heels dragging in like, all right, here's your chance. Pray. Like, I don't know what to say. What am I supposed to say? We don't know what to say because we don't know who we're praying to. I think those are the issues that Jesus is hitting at. The fundamental thing with the Lord's prayers. He is teaching us what, right? The content of our prayers. But more specifically, I think he's teaching us who. Who our God is and who it is we're praying to. And he's teaching us in his model prayer. Pray then like this, the Lord's prayer. And so we're going to walk through that prayer together. If you have your Bibles, either on your smartphones or open in front of you, however, we're about to read um, Matthew chapter six, verses five on down. And as we read, I want you to be attentive to the problems at the beginning. The problems are presented by the hypocrites. The problems are presented by the Gentiles. What makes a Gentile a Gentile? Do you know? They don't know God. They don't know him. They don't know who. So be reading, be attentive to the problems he hits and then let's have our ears open and when we get to the Lord's Prayer for how the Spirit is teaching us to pray. Because Jesus tells us, and as we're about to see, when we come to the Father in prayer, I gave part of it away, right? We come to our Father and we pray about His kingdom. We come to our Father and we pray about His kingdom. So let's read, if you will. Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 5 on down. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mm, that's good. That's good. Again, we're going to hit our two problems. We're going to hit first at the foundational one, the who. We're going to hit first at the foundational one, the who. When you are praying, who are you praying to? That's a great question to ask. And, I, and I'm really not trying to gloss over it. I'm really genuinely asking, who is God? How are you going to answer that question? It's like that's a big question. Who is God? A lot of times we're trying to answer that. It's like we're stuck back in some high school philosophy class. It's like somebody at some point It's like, there must be a prime mover to the universe. Like, okay. There is the, the supreme cause of all life in this planet. Like, it's kind of hard to pray to that God, isn't it? I went to a school in the SEC that prioritizes football. Amen. Football country. It's going to be hard to live in the ACC. We'll, we'll get over it. All right. Went to the, U, the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. We're not very good at football. I didn't say that. I said we prioritize football. But they have the interdenominational prayer before every football game. They're like, now the band's on the field and they play the star Spangled bang or whatever else. And somebody else is going to come and lead the prayer. And they pray like that. Have you ever heard the interdenominational prayers? To the prime mover and beneficent being of all source and goodness. You're like, what? I remember as a college student being like, who are we talking to? What are we talking about? And, and you may think that's, that's weird and, and far out there. But you may have found yourself in a much similar place. I'm thinking about uh, It's a Wonderful Life with George Bailey. Remember he's at the end of his rope. He's there and he's got his hands over his head. He's like, I don't know if you're up there. I don't know if you're listening. But please, please would you help? It's the same thing. I don't know you. I don't know if you're up there. I don't know if you're listening. Prime mover, supreme source of all goodness. I don't know who I'm praying to. And what does Jesus tell us? How does he answer the who? His first words. How does he teach us to pray? Somebody help me. Our Father. Isn't that good? God is not only the creator, though he is. God is not only the source of all good, though he is. Who is he? Who is close to his very heart? He's Father. Think about that. Before God had done anything, before he had created the heavens and the earth by the word of his power, before he had molded man from the dust of the earth and woman from man, before he had breathed alive by spirit and creation. Who is God? Jesus tells us God is Father. That means from eternity past and for eternity to come, there is our God who is the Father, who is united in the eternal communion of love with his Son by the Spirit. Isn't that good? That our God is Father. And we know that with that, it brings that, that, that personal, that connectable, that knowable relationship. Because he has made himself known through his son. We can know him. We're not praying to some force, right? Like Star Wars, like, yes, feel the force, right? The force is strong within you. We're not praying to a force. We're not praying to a concept. We're praying to God, our Father. We're praying to God, our Father. First and foremost, in prayer... We have to remember we are praying to our God, who is Father. Some of you, when I say that, when we walk through that, it kind of brings up bad memories, right? You kind of get that tingle in your spine. and it's just like, I don't like that. Why? Because you remember what your dad was like. Maybe your dad was absent, either physically or emotionally. He wasn't there, didn't want to be there. And so you would have longed to have known him, but no, he's gone. Maybe your dad is withholding, right? That you'd come to him for something, and he'd be like, well, you better prove it. You better earn it. I'm not just going to give you something good. Maybe, he was, maybe, maybe he, was, he was unable to be pleased. or Maybe your dad was hot-tempered. Maybe even he was abusive. And when we're talking about God as father, you're like, that's it. That's why I don't want to be about Christianity. Because your deepest fear, whether you know it or not, is that God may end up being like your dad. as we talk about that, just a reminder for dads in the room, I'm one of them. Man, what a, what a weighty responsibility we've been given. Let's, let's flip it. What an incredible gospel opportunity we've been given. That, that our God has chosen the relationship of father with children to make the invisible God visible. I know you're not going to live up to that opportunity. I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to falter, but never stop running that race. Never stop striving to love your children with the everlasting love and patience and goodness and graciousness to your children. You can make the invisible God visible by your love for your children. But for those of us in the room or those of us who have friends or those close to us whose dad was never there, whose dad was withholding, whose dad was abusive, listen to what Jesus says to us. You cannot, should not, cannot at the end of the day, project from our experiences back up into God. It's not the way it works. We don't look around and learn things that we see, and then, oh, God must be exactly like that. If anything, God has revealed himself to us through his son. So though he's chosen the father-child relationship, we have one father who is in heaven. Do you see that? God is not only our father, but he is your father in heaven, verse 9. He is our heavenly father. Pastor Kyle talked about that in his his sermon on prayer. Just the beauty of having those two terms together. Heavenly Father. Heavenly, reminding us that he is transcendent. That helpful distinction from our earthly dads. That helpful distinction that he is is higher than the mountains that we faith. He is stronger than the power of the grave. He is constant to the trials and and the change. He is our Heavenly Father. He is transcendent above all, but he's also with us. He's transcendent and imminent. Heavenly Father. Just like when you were a kid and you would, you would crawl up into, right, and be embraced by the loving arms of your dad. Or just like when you were a kid, you longed to be embraced by the loving arms of your dad. That is your father who is in heaven. He is near to you by his spirit. And he will welcome you into his love. Not only that, Jesus reminds us that his name is holy. His name is holy. None of us are ever going to live up to our family name. Do you ever have that talk? Maybe you're a high school student in the room, and you've, you know, the, the talk's coming, right? Get ready. But it's like, I don't care what you do, son. You're a Lowrance, right? That's kind of how you pronounce my last name, but don't worry about it. That's my granny in Watertown, which if you wonder where Watertown is, it's near Lebanon. Does that help you? No? All right. He said, you're a Lowrance, right? That's your last name. And your great-grandfather forged that name from steel and iron into the new world, right? With the sweat of his back and brow, he'd earned that reputation. And nothing you can do, you always remember to never squander that name. You're like, well, I got a D in my geography test. Is that like squandering the name, Dad? I mean, I... you're going to find yourself never living up to your name, your reputation. But what does it mean that our Father who is in heaven, his name is holy? What does that mean? It means that his name is set apart. His name is distinct. And his name is holy in that it is righteous. It is pure. It is goodness. It is grace. It is all those things that he always ever only lives up to his name because his name is holy. And let's not pass over just just thinking about his name. His name, how he distinguishes himself, how he sets himself apart, how he defines himself, if you will. Like, for instance, uh, I believe in God. Well, Which God are you talking about? What's his name? There's a, a pastor, a theologian I, I follow, and he'll, he'll speak at college campuses and do events and whatever else. And he'll talk about how after the event, an atheist will come up to him, an um, atheist who does not believe in God, right? And they'll make it clear. And they just say, listen, I appreciate your talk, but I want you to know that I don't believe in God. And he will always respond to him, that's fine. Which God are you talking about? Chances are I don't believe in him either. I don't believe in God. Well, which God? What's the name of the God you're talking about? Think about the Old Testament, if you will. How does God name himself in the Old Testament? I'm the God of the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's telling you which one he is. We know they are not other gods, but but humans just have thoughts of all these different gods of earth and sky and claim God of self and whatever else. But he, he distinguishes himself, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God who reached down and brought you up out of Egypt with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. I'm Yahweh, his name. But how does he fully and finally name himself? This is awesome. This is awesome. It's the story of the gospel. Um, Hebrews begins this way. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Isn't that good? And do you know who we call Lord? Yahweh. You know who we give the name of God to? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ the Son of God. So what that means, again, who is God? God is the Father who is eternally united to His Son and the bond of the Spirit. So how do we know who He is? He reveals Himself through His Son. He reveals Himself as Father. And His name, as Paul reminds us over and over again, is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's His name. That's who He is. So if you ever are tempted to think that God the Father is like your earthly dad, if you ever are tempted to think that he will be withdrawn or absent when you need him most, when we look at Jesus, what are we reminded? He's nearer than a brother. How do we know? Because he so loved the world that he sent his only son to be with us. John three sixteen. If you're afraid that God will be demanding or withhold something good from you because he's unable to be pleased and only live up to his standard... We look to his son, Jesus Christ, and we listen to his words. And Remember, as we're going to see in, a, in, in Matthew chapter 7, he's a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. How do we know? Romans 8, Paul tells us, If he did not withhold his only son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also graciously with him give us all good things? And If we were ever afraid that God is mean-tempered, maybe even abusive, we know him as our loving father through Jesus Christ. Because it was while we were still sinners, Romans 5, that he demonstrated his own love for us by sending his son. The love of God is always ever only connected to his son, Jesus Christ. And if you ever question his goodness or his justice or his righteousness or his holiness or his purity or any of those things, don't project from your experience. Look to the son and see his heart displayed. But God is not just the father. And God is not just a father to someone else. Who does Jesus tell us to pray to? Our Father. Isn't that good? It's a summary of the gospel. You can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can share it with your friends. You can take it with you to the classroom. Just saying, Our Father. Because what does that mean? That means that we are connected to Him in such a way that we can reach out to Him like He, he is. He's our dad. reminds me of the, the worship song we sing. How's it go? Um, I'm no longer a slave to fear. What are you? I am a child of God. Donovan, are you listening? Listen, give me a shot. Pastor Donovan, get me on stage. Give me a mic. I can do it. That comes from Romans. It comes from Romans chapter 8. The words will be up on the screen. You can follow along. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But What? You receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I'll hold it up there. because We're going to talk through it. But briefly, who can call God their Abba, Abba, Father? If you grew up in church, maybe you know somebody that prays that way, like Abba, Daddy. Maybe you're thinking about them. Let's think biblically. Like who in the Bible calls God their Abba? Isn't it Jesus Christ? Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion? When just the agony of the weight of our sin and its, and its punishment is just weighing on him. And, and he falls down to his knees and, and prays even more earnestly, crying out with a loud voice saying what? Abba, Father. God is his father uniquely. But that doesn't help us if it's only his father. Salvation is that God is our father. So what does Romans tell us? We didn't have our own spirit, if you will, our lower S spirit, lowercase s. We didn't have our own spirit of slavery and fear. But what do we have? We have the spirit. See how that big S is right there? That's to try to help us see that that is the spirit. That is the spirit of adoption of sons. That's the spirit of sonship. That is the very spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom himself, when he walked among us as a man, could cry out in that spirit to his Abba. And guess what? He now sends that spirit, the spirit, into our hearts so that we cry, Abba, Father. We have his access. We have his love with the Father. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. You ever wonder why we do that? It's like, well, you didn't say in Jesus' name. You didn't close out right. It's still lingering. You got you to close it. We pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because it's only by His right, only by His life, only by His love can we come before the Father in confidence. It's only by His Spirit. And I love that. Once we know who He is, our Father, Paul tells the Romans, now we know what we can pray. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He's like expounding on what it means that we have the big S Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. Don't you love that? If you don't know what you're supposed to say, guess what? You're in good company. The Apostle Paul doesn't know either. We do not know. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're going to be there tonight. Maybe you're going to be there somewhere else. That's okay. Because why? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's not only did the Son of God, Jesus Christ, pray as us in the garden. Not only, as we're going to see at the end of service, does he pray for us as our great high priest. But he sends his Spirit into our hearts to pray with us. So as we come before the Father in prayer, we have that spirit of love, of union, of adoption as sons that cries out. It's from the video, I remember, where Jay is saying, you know, he had to rethink of what prayer looked like so that he knew that he could approach in confidence. Why? Because the Spirit of Christ is in his heart. He had to to relearn that he could pray about personal things. Why? Because God is his Father who cares for him and he said he learned that we pray together don't you love that because again it's so important we we're just on two words right the whole sermon two words how much time y'all got right but god is not just the father god is not just a father or my father though he is who is god we pray to our father Is that good and Jesus again and again hits in, in this prayer, Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. The Spirit unites us to the Father in love, love of a son, but also he unites us together in his body. So that just as Jay said in the video, it's so good, something happens when we pray together. It's like we know we're part of a family. Something happens when we pray together. That our hearts are united and we are connected with one another and connected with Jesus Christ. So just an invitation this morning. How are you gonna prioritize praying together? Maybe it's just as simply, Dad's in this room. You know, I'm not picking on you, I'm just starting with you. How are you gonna prioritize praying together at home? This really hits me deep and hits me hard, right? Nice kick in the teeth this morning for you. But how are you gonna prioritize praying with your wife? If it's just you two? How are you gonna prioritize praying with your wife and, and your kids? In a way that they can understand, if they got young kids, how are you going to promise I was praying together so that you not only are blood family, but you're already teaching your household that you are the family of God. Maybe you're here and you're already serving in one of our teams at two cities. Maybe you need to be a part of our prayer team. That right now and during every service, we have people who have set aside time to approach the throne in confidence and pray for you, so that you would hear the word of God clearly and He would change your life by Spirit. Would you be a part of that team if you're already serving? Would you step into that unique opportunity to pray together, to be united to your church family in two cities as you approach our Father in prayer? Or maybe, again, you need to reach out to a community group leader or your DNA group. Or or maybe you need to talk to your coach or your elder or somebody. Just how can we prioritize praying together because something unique happens? Because it's not just you and God type of thing, though it is. But it's our Father as we together. We've hit, and we spent a lot of time hitting it, right? The foundational piece of prayer. The who. Who is God? He is our Father. And now briefly as we turn, we're going to look at the what. What are we to pray about? What is the content of our prayer? If now we know our God as Father, as he's showed his heart to his son, Jesus Christ, what does it mean for us then to approach him in prayer? What do we talk about? There's going to be three quick things we're going to hit. Because we approach our Father about his kingdom. We approach our Father about his kingdom. And three quick things we see. Number one, in verse eleven, when he talks about coming to him in a posture of dependence, he says, "Give us this day our daily bread." We are to pray. That's to teach us that we are dependent on him. His kingdom is about dependence. Why do we pray before meals? You ever thought about that? Maybe it's because your grandmama, you know, like wrap your hand as you reach for the mashed potatoes. We pray before we eat. You're like I'm sorry, I'm trying to. Why do we pray before meals? It is to teach us, as Jesus is trying to teach us, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So when you stop and you pray before a meal, you're reminding yourself, the food in front of me doesn't sustain me. It does, but not ultimately. Um, What I usually look to doesn't give me life. I only live by the word that comes from my Father. That's good. Mm, Preaching myself here, people extend it to something bigger, right? Not just, not just prayer over um, a meal. But I remember Marianne Upson, her video on the generosity sermon. She was talking about a season in her life when she drove a car. When she got in that car, she literally had to pray it would get her to her destination. If you've been there in that kind of season dependence, maybe for you, it's another junk car. Maybe for you, it's a, it's it's a, it's a health complication. Maybe for you, it's, a, it's a relational issues in your family. Just something where you had to wake up before your feet hit the ground. As you got in the car, when you clicked ignition, whatever else, you had to pray that you'd get to like the next thing on your calendar. I love what she said in that video. That season in life taught her what? That she was dependent on Christ. Isn't that good? So praise the Lord for her bum cars and, and big interviews and, and hard seasons in life or whatever else because it teaches us about his kingdom. It teaches us about dependence. Not only that, the kingdom of Christ is also about forgiveness. Verse 12, how is we to pray? We are to pray, forgive us us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It seems everybody today is fine admitting they need to get better. Most of us are looking to get better. Right, you're buying a um, a book that your friend recommends. You're checking out a blog post that kind of helps you to to improve your life, or or you're looking at like you know a different bed that you can sleep better, a different food that you can live better, a different uh, computer or smart something that help you be better. Whatever it is, we all know we need to be a little bit better. It's like sure, I'm not perfect. Sure, there are things I can work on. Whatever else, but it's quite another thing to come to our Father and say that we have sin. It's quite another thing. To come and say that we have transgressed his righteous law. Or to say that we are in debt to a holy God. That we need forgiveness. I was sharing a gospel with a veteran. He'd done three tours in the Middle East. And it's just intimidating, you know, just trying to talk to him in general. I'm like, gosh, you he's know, an incredible patriot of this country and different things. But anyway, the, the gospel point came to the, to, came to the issue of Christ as king. I was talking about the kingship of Christ. His back stiffened. His face got flushed. And he looked at me and he said, I would rather die standing than bow the knee to anyone. And I just kind of stood, stepped back and I said, that's it? That's the question of the gospel. Our hearts, that spirit of, of, of fear and slavery, we want to stand up and in our own strength say, we would rather die standing than bow the knee to anyone. But what does the gospel of Jesus Christ require? That We bow our knee. That we come to him as a king. That we come to him in a position of dependence for a very life. We come to him in need of forgiveness, in debt. But our forgiveness has to work its way out. That if we come to, to, to our father in need of forgiveness and our hearts have been changed by the spirit, it has to, it has to work out. Those are from the scary verses, right? Remember the scary verses at the end, verses 14 and 15? Jesus said, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's like, Dad, I didn't know this was like 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 a, I do this, you do that kind of thing. God, isn't grace like free, isn't an unmerited favor or whatever else? I didn't know that there was like a response, like a checklist. Check, forgave others. No, but what is he trying to teach? He's trying to teach the gospel truth that if your heart has been changed... You necessarily, you inevitably will forgive. If you have been forgiven, then you know how that works out? You know the fruit of that salvation tree? You know how it comes out? A forgiveness. I'm reminded of, of, of the woman that came and anointed Jesus' feet and kind of washed, her hair, uh, washed his feet with her hair. What did Jesus say? That she loves much. Why? Because she's been forgiven much. When she came to the realization of her need, of her debt, of her forgiveness, it changed your heart. And she's going to love much. For many of us, we live in such bitterness, we live in such anger, we live in such unforgiveness for somebody or something or some cause or some whatever, that if we were honest with ourselves about this text, we would know there's no reason we should claim Christianity. That the gospel of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness he gives is incompatible with our unforgiveness, with our bitterness, with our anger. Because if we are angry, if we are bitter, if we will not forgive, there's no reason to, to assume that we had, ourselves have been forgiven. Those who have been forgiven much, we love much because his kingdom is about forgiveness. And thirdly, his kingdom is about deliverance. His kingdom is about deliverance. I love that in verse 13, when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think about my prayer and understanding that I pray about what I take seriously. And do you know what I take seriously above all other things? Myself. Like, here's the things I want, God, by the way. Would you you mind if I write them all down in a journal so you can see all the needs that I have for you to meet? Here they are. And then guess what I do in my thankfulness prayers? I thank him for all the ways that he's done all the things that I wanted like, thank you for doing all this. I did want that. Oh, you're so good. I take myself seriously. And so I pray about myself. I pray about whatever it is. A big test that's coming up, a big issue I'm having, a big whatever, big doctor's appointment, big, 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 big big day at the office, big whatever else. I take seriously what I pray about. What would it mean for us to take seriously our sin? Or to be specific, what tempts us into sin? What if we began to pray about what we know, how we are tempted to turn away from God, turn away from light and life and sin and death? Think back through the, the Sermon on the Mount, whether it be lust, whether it be anxiety, whether it be anger, whether it be our stuff. What if we were able to diagnose by the Spirit what uniquely pulls us away and we took that seriously enough to pray about it, to deliver us from that temptation? What if we took it seriously to pray together about that? What if you came to a community group leader and said, you know what, I want to, I want to help. Would you pray with me about this temptation? Your DNA group leader, your, 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 your coach, your, your elder, however it is. What if we began to take him upon his promise? Remember that sweet promise in 1 Corinthians 10? He promises to be faithful to us so that when we are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that we can endure it. Jesus believed it's so much he told us twice. He told us here in the Lord's Prayer to, to, to lead us not into temptation. And the what in his own prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, how does he challenge his disciples? Do you remember? He said, I'm going to go a little farther in prayer, but what? Pray so that you do not enter into temptation. The Lord himself sees it as a direct line, a direct connection. He takes it seriously. What would it look like for us to do the same? Because his kingdom is not only. About dependence, it's not only about forgiveness, but it's also about deliverance. So in conclusion this morning, I just want to challenge you to think back through those two problems. The what and the who. Think back through the problem of the what of your prayers. Just be honest with yourself as you think back to the times that you have devoted in prayer or maybe times that you still don't pray because you think you've got it and you may need a little help. You know, call call God off the top rope if you need him. Think back through your prayers. What do you pray about? And what does the content of your prayers reveal about your heart? Do you pray mostly about yourself? Pray mostly about things that you want? Or do you pray about his kingdom? Do you pray about dependence? Do you remind yourself of your need of forgiveness? Do you pray you would forgive others? Do you take seriously temptation to pray you'd be led away from that? Then maybe most foundationally, I'm going to challenge you with a who question. If you're honest with yourself, do you know and are you sure? Or are you solid? Or are you steadfast? Or are you grounded in the who you're praying to? If you're a Christian this morning and, and you know in your mind your sins have been forgiven, would you challenge yourself <laughs> that our Heavenly Father views you in Christ as he views his own son? Think about that. How, how much he loves his son. How much he would do anything and did anything for his son. He looks at you the same way. Challenge yourself with that truth. But maybe you're here and and you'd say, you know what? I'm not. I'm sure of who I'm praying to. Honestly, it's more of a disconnected and abstract concept. My wife knows. My friend knows who invited me. My parents know. But I don't know God. Let me give you the freedom and the space to say that you may be right. You may not know him. Because God is our father, the Bible teaches when we are in Christ. So the question for you this morning is if you do not know God as your Father, maybe you need to, for the first time, come to Him in dependence. Maybe you need to come to Him for forgiveness. Maybe you need to come to Him for deliverance. Don't leave this morning without nailing down the who it is we are to pray to. Pray to our Father. You pray about His kingdom. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we know your name is holy. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done over all the earth and in our city, and in our church, and in our homes as it is in heaven. We ask for our very life today, for we are dependent on you. We come to you for forgiveness, even as we seek to forgive others. We pray that you would not lead us into our temptations but bring about your deliverance. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.